Second Kings chapter number 5, and uh, again, it's just an honor to serve the Lord, and, uh, and just reach as many as we can, and help as many as we can, that should be all our goal, and uh, in this passage of scripture, and uh, introduced to a man by the name of Naaman, and um, the Bible says in verse number 1 that he's the captain of the host, um, he is, and it's going to give a lot of information about this guy, but uh, Naaman has a very serious issue going on in his life, and and um, he is going to need to be saved, um, and spiritually, but also his life is in danger. And uh, we're going to read this real quick, and the uh, Lord gave it to us for uh, some important lessons, and I want us to learn these today. But in Second Kings chapter number 5 and verse number 1, it says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife and she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now, when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so, Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me. And he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his with his horses and with his chariot, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away, and said, Behold, I thought. He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abanya and uh, Farapar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage, in a rage. And the servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for this passage of Scripture. I pray you just teach us the truth that you want us to see tonight. And Lord... Uh, today and Lord I just thank you Lord again for the word of God Lord please lift up your word lift up your son I pray you'd hide uh, Lord the speaker and Lord I pray our thoughts would only be directed to you please help us today and in Christ's name I pray amen 
I want to look at a few things real quick this morning, right? And uh, Naaman would find deliverance in a most amazing way. But there are a lot of lessons here for us to learn in this passage of Scripture. Number one, I want us to consider the pedigree, right? And the pedigree. In verse number one of chapter number five, it tells us about uh, this man uh, named Naaman. I wrote down these words, and you're gonna, we'll read it here together again. But you're going to see his authority. You'll see that he was awesome. You'll see that he was acclaimed. You'll see that he was accomplished. You would see that he uh, was adventurous. And you'll see that he was assured. He was very confident. Now read this with me. It says, now Naaman, captain of the host. There's his authority. Uh, of the king of Syria. Uh, it says he was a great man. There he's awesome. All right. Uh, with his master. Uh, he was honorable. He was acclaimed. People knew about him. They celebrated him. He was accomplished because by him, the Lord had given deliverance. Uh, this man had a resume. He had been used to do some great and wonderful things. Uh, he was adventurous in the fact he had deliverance unto Syria. He was a mighty man. Uh, God uh, had uh, uh, given him special power and wisdom, I guess, to lead and uh, to give some great victories for, for Syria. And uh, he was assured, says he was a mighty man in valor. That means he was extremely confident. He knew he was good. I like confident people. Uh, and I know there's a fine line between pride and confidence. You know, the Bible teaches us that we ought to be confident people. Uh, you know, that's, that's what the word hope in the Bible is. All right? Uh, you know, we have the blessed hope when the Lord's coming back. I'm confident the Lord's coming back. You know, and, uh, you know, I have the hope of my salvation. I know I'm saved. I praise the Lord for that. Uh, I have, I read in my devotions this morning in the book of Galatians, chapter number four, the hope of righteousness, uh, that one day we will be made like him, right? And uh, all of our unrighteousness will finally, we won't have to deal with our flesh and sin anymore. Won't that be a wonderful day? All right. That's the hope of righteousness. I like confidence, all right? And uh, I, I like, you know, I, that's why I, you know, in sports, you know, I, I enjoyed Larry Bird in basketball because he was a very confident player, right? Slightly prideful, all right? You know, I. Uh, but uh, he knew. You know, I, you know, I. I've watched documentaries on him. Now, I said I talked about him the other day in chapel at school, and no one knew who he was, except for Cody. Cody knew who he was, right? But uh, but uh, everybody's like, who? I was like, oh, I am so old, all right? Uh, but uh, but they need to know. So I took a moment and explained because they need to know who he is, right? But, uh, you know, I've watched. He would tell a guy, he said, I'm, if one second left on the clock, he'd say, I'm going to get the ball. I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to shoot in your face and win the game. And he did. It was awesome. Uh, you know, uh, but I, I liked in baseball. I used to love watching Barry Bonds play, right? I know, steroids. I, but everyone was taking them. Don't even get me started on it. Right? But in any case, right? Uh, just because a man's head size grows five inches. All right? Nobody knows, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, if you ever watched him play, he wore a wristband of a picture of himself. <laughs> that is fantastic, right? Uh, you know, we're a wristband of a picture of yourself. Uh, but, uh, you know, in the, new, in, the, in the Bible you read, you people like that. I love, uh, you know, remember when Hannah was praying for a child and uh, her husband came to her and uh, he was just like, why are you crying? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? What a statement is that, right? That guy had some comment. Am I not better? Never mind. I thought that was fun, right? Yeah, I'm better than 10 sons, right? You know, I, I should tell, I'm, I'm better than three children. I mean, come on, right? I don't know. Anyways, all right. 
But, uh, you know, but this guy was confident in himself. He had done a lot of things, all right? He had authority. He was great. He was honorable. He had done things. He had a great resume. People feared him. But as successful as a man can get, this was Naaman. I mean, he obviously was wealthy. Uh, you know, he, he had uh, uh, you know, people in his house that were just there to, to do it at his beck and command. And his wife had her own servants. And, and, uh, but the Bible says, what shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world but lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? This guy had everything. Whatever he wanted, he could get. You see his pedigree, and you see this. And there's a whole lot of people who are living their life trying to, you know, just their main goal in life is to be successful. Now listen, I don't want you, I don't want my kids, I don't want to be a failure. But there are far more important things than living for the things of this world. This world, everything in it is temporary. I, I hope all of you are successful in your business. I, I hope all of you are good stewards of what God's giving you. I hope I, I only want success for us all. And there's nothing wrong with having things. There's nothing wrong with having money. I hope God makes everyone in this room a millionaire. Just tithe, right? That'd be awesome, all right? That's great, all right? But the fact is this. When we begin to live for these things, our heart is carnal. When we begin to put these things ahead of God, we're headed towards destruction. Naaman was so successful. And you see his pedigree, but number two, you see he had a problem. Despite all of these great things in verse number one, you know, that, that little conjunction, but, changes everything. Out of, I mean, the whole verse said all these great and wonderful things about Naaman. You know, and, and I, you know, sometimes that word just like stabs you in the heart. You know, I've had people come up to me after church and they'd be like, you know, they'll walk up to me and say, Pastor, I just want you to know I think you're a wonderful pastor and I respect you a lot. I'm just like, and he says, but, oh, you, I don't know what's coming, but it's not good, right? You know, I'll walk in, you know, sometimes my wife's like, how you doing? I'm doing good, everything's going all right, but, oh no. I mean, it changes everything. And this guy had everything going for him, but it says, but, he was a leper. He had a very serious problem. The serious problem is this, he was dying. He had a disease, a disease that there was no cure. In these Bible times, and still, unfortunately, in some parts of the world today, leprosy was a death sentence. Leprosy, is, it would attack the nervous system, and I've talked about it before, but a lot of people just think, you know, that, you know, you had leprosy, your nose fell off. That's not the case, right? Um, I have a really good song about that, but I won't sing it. My mom taught it to me. I should have mom sing it. That'd be good. She's like turning around, yeah. Leprosy, all my skin is falling off of me. I'm not half the man I used to be. I believe I have leprosy. Oh, there's a second verse. Kiss me quick. 
while I still have an upper lip. I don't even have a nose to pick. I believe I have leprosy. My mom taught me that. All right, yeah, right. I can't remember all the verses to Amazing Grace, but I remember that song, right? Uh, <laughs> and that's that. Uh, but, um, you know, but leprosy was a terrible, and it wasn't just like parts of your body fell off. It attacked the nervous system. And what it would do, you would lose all sensitivity. You would lose all feeling, um, and tumors would begin to grow. It would be a disfiguring uh, disease. Uh, and, and, um, you know, and then where the whole idea of your you know, <laughs> body parts falling off comes from the fact that this, you, people would get cut, they would get injured, uh, and they would never feel it, they would never know it. And so what would happen, it would get infected. The infection would, of course, and we didn't have what we have today in cleanliness and hygiene, uh, but it would affect, uh, you know, I'm sorry, it's gross, it's Sunday morning, but uh, maggots, and, and, uh, and, and they would come and they begin to eat, the, eat alive the infection. Uh, they would, in their sleep, that's why they would cover themselves with bandages, because while they were sleeping, rodents and, and animals would come and literally gnaw away at the, the infections, and the, they'd wake up in their fingers and things. they never feel it. Uh, because of this disease. It was a terrible disease. People died a miserable death. And Naaman found out he had it. And all that authority and all that awesomeness and all that accomplishments and adventurous and confidence he had couldn't change the fact he was dying. He had a death sentence upon him. In the Bible, leprosy is taught as a picture of sin. Every one of us are born sinners. Every one of us, unless there is a healing, the wages of sin is death. And sin, if it is not dealt with in a biblical fashion through the Lord Jesus Christ, it will begin to affect you. It will begin to kill you. It will change your life. It will change your friends. It will change your, your hope and your confidence. It literally will eat you alive. It will leave you scarred. Soon you'll become insensitive. What used to make you blush, the Bible says, neither were they able to blush. They get to a point where sin doesn't bother them and they become, you know, unaffected through conviction, guilt, and shame. And by the way, when you look around this country today, you see a country that is sick with sin. Everything I'm describing to you, it's affecting people. Leprosy would affect the family. The family would have to be divided. Laman would have to leave his, Naaman would have to leave his family. They would go and start living in these leper colonies. People would throw them scraps, but never get near them. Anywhere they, if anyone ever came near them, they'd have to cry out, unclean. They would have to put on one set of clothes and not take them off. Because those clothes would spread that disease, and they'd wear them and then wrap themselves in bandages. And it was a terrible disease. So sin... As awful as leprosy is and was, sin is far worse. Leprosy just affects the physical body, but sin, the spiritual. People that are lost in their sin, you see the same effects in their life, and 
it will bring death. There's a whole lost and dying world out there that if the Lord Jesus Christ and they do not hear of the gospel, they're going to die and go to hell. They're condemned. You see the pedigree and you see the problem. But in verse 2 and 3, you see a possibility. And I love these verses. It says, And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captives out of the land of Israel, a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. She said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. You have this little maid. We don't know her name. We know this, that from the passage here, that the Syrians had made raids into Israel. They had gone in, they had pillaged towns and stole what they could steal and take what they could take and probably left behind them carnage and death. And at some point, they had kidnapped this little girl. Probably did so by slaying her parents. She was made a slave to Naaman's wife. He's a young maid, a little maid, the Bible says. She waited on Naaman's wife and did her bidding. And, and no doubt, and this is where, you know, I, my thought process, imagination, whatever you want to call it. As she's serving there in that household, she probably sees people very upset. She sees her, her master, Naaman's wife, no doubt, crying as anyone would if you heard that your spouse was diagnosed with a lethal disease. She found out, found out about what was going on, heard, no doubt, what Naaman's issue was. And here's the sad reality. The typical person, and I'm not lifting myself above it, would have said he got what he deserved. you're all staring at me I would have went through your mind too if that guy would have kidnapped you and killed your parents and hurt your friends but she didn't feel that way this young lady she, she went to her master went to Naaman's wife and said would to God My Lord, Naaman, were with the prophet that's in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Here, this young servant girl, she spoke up because she had sympathy. That would not have been an easy thing to do. I mean, I'm just literally putting myself in those shoes some invader were to come in and slay my family and take me, make me a slave, and then I found out that guy that had led that was dying with some terrible disease, even if I knew the person that, back home that could heal them. As wicked as this sounds, the temptation would have been to get some enjoyment out of watching him die and suffer. But she didn't think that way. She said, what to God? 
my lord, Naaman, could go and see the prophet. He could get healing. You and I are sitting in a church. Praise the Lord for our church. Praise the Lord for each other. Isn't it awesome to have the Word of God in our hands? Isn't it awesome to get together? As Brother Chad prayed this, this morning, to have the freedom to gather together and to worship the Lord and to call upon the Lord without fear of someone coming in and, 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 uh, and taking us prisoner or, or taking us and you know, uh, persecuting us. because We don't have to hide in a cave anywhere. We can freely and publicly worship our God. That's a blessing. Isn't it great to know you're going to heaven? Isn't it a wonderful thing to know that you are not condemned to an eternity in hell, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ, one day I am going to spend eternity in glory with the Lord and all of my loved ones who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, where there's no more sin, no more suffering, no more darkness, no more trials. That is going to be a glorious day. It ought to be hard to you know, sit here today and sing these songs and, and, and realize what lies ahead for us and the great things God has for us. And then, you know, I have to you know, like grunt, you know. And it's wonderful. No, praise the Lord. Amen? I mean, what a glorious thing this is. Well, sometimes we get this mentality that we, the Lord saved us and all these people out there doing all these wicked things. They get what they deserve. God forbid. And no one would probably stand up today and say, yeah, they all deserve it. But we act that way. We never share the, the word of God with them. We never tell them about the Lord. We never want to try to reach out. Listen, we have the cure. It's right here. We have the answer. We must share this. We must tell others. We need to speak up and have some sympathy on these souls. We see what's going on over there and in Israel. Pray for them. And it's not over yet. And we can hear of the atrocities that's going on, and they're bad. We, we can read about some of the carnage that's happening and the terrible things that we read about. And I was reminded in our nursing home service on Thursday, one of the, the residents there named Tom, he raised his hand and he said, pray for the people in Israel and all the fighting that's going on there. And me and Tom, Tom is our current event guy. He always knows what's going around. He always prays for whatever, it be it an earthquake, a disaster, a war, a fighting, you name it. He knows what's going on, and he prays for it. But we always, together, we always say, yes, pray for them. Oh, that they just knew Jesus. And while we can get mad at Hamas or whatever other terror group out there, and it's wicked what's going on. Have you prayed for their souls? That's hard. Christ died for them. He died for them. He died for the people of Israel who are just as lost as they are. Pray for them. 
Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your coworkers. Oh, that we could learn a lesson from this girl that even though we don't like what's going on and even though we may be taken advantage of at times, but we know the answer. Speak up. Say, well, I can't go over there and tell them about Christ. But we can go out and tell our neighbors, tell our friends. If they get saved and tell theirs, Literally, I can tell you a group of 12 people that literally turned the world upside down. Because they just faithfully... I mentioned this the other day in our Thursday night messages about missions. And I, you know, sometimes we see what all happened and with all the churches that the Apostle Paul planted. And, and we think, wow, what God did through Paul. And he did, all right? And I'm not taking anything away from that. But if you think Paul did all of that, you need a reality check. God used Paul to plant these churches, but the, the folks that got saved, they took it seriously, and they began to outreach. To the point in the book of Acts that it says that all of Asia heard the gospel. I'm talking about all of Asia Minor. But all of Asia heard the gospel. Paul didn't do that. But the churches took their job seriously. They began to tell people. Oh, that we could learn the possibility of just speaking up. And then you see... In verse 6 and 7, you see the pointless. It's interesting because the king of Syria sent, he tried a lot of money, didn't he? Verse number 5, when Laman left, he took 10 talents of silver, 6,000 pieces of gold, and 10 changes of raiment. I don't care what time you live in, that's a lot. Somewhere to give you 6,000 pieces of gold, you wouldn't sit there today and be like, Amen. Now, you'd be running around rejoicing, right? There's a lot of money. But the money did nothing. Other than if you know the rest of the story, it caused a whole lot of problems. Because a believer got very covetous careful it's not about the money they tried a monarch they sent and they took the letter to verse number six the king of israel they took it to the king of israel they went to the wrong person the king of israel could do nothing all the money in the world cannot save a soul all the, the authority in the world cannot change the destination of a soul. Even the king of Israel said, Am I God? I can't, I can't do it. He got frustrated. The most powerful man in Israel, humanly speaking, could do nothing. He went to the wrong place. And a lot of people, they realize their need. They realize they're lost but they're going to the wrong place. They, they try to satisfy the void in their life by pleasures, by power, by all of these things, and it still leaves them void and without hope. You see the pointless, but then you see the prophet. Elijah hears about this, or Elisha hears about this. And when Elisha hears what's going on, he sends a message in verse number 8. Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent 
uh, to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me. And he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let him come to me. And Elisha knew this. Elisha couldn't heal the man. And Elisha was careful to not even put on that show. Naaman wanted Elisha to come out when he found out. He wanted Elisha to come out and raise his hands and put on a show and call down something from heaven and uh, maybe touch him or, I don't know, send some sort of power. I don't know. He was looking for something like that. But Elisha didn't even go out and talk to him. Elisha wanted no glory because if you're here today and you want the preacher to save you or a Sunday school teacher to save you, we can't. I wish I could save people. Wouldn't that be awesome? I can't. No one could save me. No one can save you except the Lord. He got really upset because when he comes, but Elisha said, let him come. I love the invitation. There it is again. It's, again, as my grandpa used to always say, the royal invitation of the Bible, come unto me. Let him come. From Noah and the ark to the end of the book of Revelation, the spirit and the bride say, come. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Come unto me, all you that weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It is the invitation of God to come, which, by the way, that's the only argument you ever need to talk to someone who believes in predestination and Calvinism. That's the only argument you need. It ends the entire debate. Because why would God say, come, if you couldn't? That would make him a very disingenuous God. So anyway, that was free, right? But in any case, right? Come. He says, come. He said, let him come to me. And then verse number nine, Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a message unto him because it wasn't Elisha. It was a message. If you, leave, if you came here today lost, but you leave today saved, I hope that's the case. But if you do leave today saved, it's not because of the preacher. It's not because the song leader. It's not because of anyone else. It's because faith in the word of God. And he sent this message and he told him, he said, all right, all you need to do, you need to go. He said, and, and, and go dip in the Jordan River seven times. Now, the Jordan River had no special powers. Matter of fact, it was disgusting. Um, it, there was nothing, matter of fact, he was insulted that he would have to go into that nasty river. He said, I got two rivers back home that are a whole lot better if I just need to take a bath. Place is filthy. But what about the Jordan River? Would Naaman have faith? And Naaman got really mad, didn't he? He said, what? He, matter of fact, he was wroth and went out in rage. You see the, the confidence and the surety in the, the man of God, and you see a sermon and what he told him. Just go to that Jordan River. You just got to believe. He went off storming mad with wrath and rage, but then one of his servants made a suggestion. In verse number 13, his one servant came to him and said, you know, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, 
Wouldn't you have done it? Because we like to think that in our flesh, I can do it. If Elisha would have sent a message and said, hey, climb to the top of Mount Sinai on your knees and plant a flag, he would have done it. That attracts our human spirit. That's why you have things like Catholicism and things like that and uh, works of other religions and cults that try to give you things that you can do to earn salvation and repentance and forgiveness. Listen, it is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. It's not what we can do, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. And Naaman got mad, and his servant said, if he had told you to do some great feat, you would have done it. When we were in Rome, there were people literally on their knees, climbing up steps, hundreds of hundreds of steps, trying to earn forgiveness. They do that here in Cincinnati. Listen, you don't earn forgiveness. By faith, we receive forgiveness because Jesus paid for it all already. Naaman was mad and he finally listened to the servant. And, he's, and the servant made sense. And you see, and we end the passage that Naaman, he was saved that day of his leprosy. I like what it says about him because you kind of see salvation in this. In verse number 14, he went down. If you're going to be saved, it starts with humility. I'm a sinner. My thoughts, my works, I'm putting aside. Then you see faith. He dipped himself seven times. He did according to the word from the Lord. And the Bible says that his flesh came again likened to the flesh of a little child. I love that. Brand new. The moment you and I got saved, we were born again. We were a new creature. We had no past. It was all forgiven. Praise God for that. And he was cleansed that day. Now all this, of course, is a picture for us for our learning. If you're here today lost and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you too can have salvation by faith in what the Lord has said. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But we'll take a quick time out before we close the message. Because the majority of us in this room are probably saved and we declare salvation and we profess the Lord Jesus Christ and we know we're going to heaven and yet, lest we leave today thinking, well, that was a good sermon for someone that's lost, I want us to consider something too. That a lot of times we Christians want to handle life our own way. We want to run our marriage our way. We want to run our life our way. We want to raise our kids our way. We want to, you know, do what we want to do because we want to do it. And then just like Naaman, when it's not working out, we get mad at the messenger. We get mad at, the, the, at God. We get mad at the, the message that's preached. And, and we, get, we get upset at that. And we allow these things. And, and listen, 
If you want a good family, you want a good home, and you want a good marriage, and you, you want a life that honors and pleases God, you want that peace, you want those blessings, you want all these things that you hear everybody preaching about, you got to do it God's way. Well, I want to do it this way. Our way doesn't work. My flesh has great ideas, but if they don't line up with the Word of God, they're wrong. But a lot of times people are just like, well, you know, I want me and my, my spouse to be so close. But we don't have a walk with God and we don't go to church. You're not going to have a great marriage. That was a blunt statement. It's a true statement. A threefold cord is not easily broken. You need God. I want my kids to be successful and I want them to, uh, you know, to stay away from drugs and alcohol and all this wickedness. I want them to have a peaceful life and a good... I do too! But you better quit putting sports in front of God. Amen! You, you better quit letting them listen to filth. You better quit letting them put stuff in front of them. That is just leading them into, into wickedness and, and, and in the world and worldliness and, and carnality. Be careful. Well, I, I like, I, you know, I don't, I don't see nothing wrong with it. Well, then you can't get mad at God or church when the blessings aren't there. You see, this sermon took a, a weird direction. There's a lesson here. Naaman got mad, right? He got mad because he wanted healing his way. He wanted life to be perfect his way. Anything good in my life right now is only because of God. The bad things in my life, I asked for it and did it. God only wants his best for us. But learn this other lesson too, child of God. You know, I want my finances to get fixed. But you won't tithe? Amen. Y'all amen a lot more talking about salvation. Amen. We want, we want that, but we're not going to do it God's way. Won't happen. It will not happen. You see, I want peace at night. I'm so I'm up all night. I'm tossing back and forth and, and I have no peace. Well, how's your walk with God this week? Why why'd you skip out on services this week? What's all the stuff you've been putting in your ears and eyes this week? You see, we're a lot more like Naaman than probably we thought about when we first started today. That things get bad and life starts falling apart and the family starts falling apart and, and everything starts falling apart. So we run and we try to sit in church and think, well, this will fix it. Preacher, fix it. God, fix it. Not unless you do according to the Word of God. You can sit in this church all day long. Seven days a week if you want to. But if you're not willing to humble yourself, and say, I will do what God says to do. You can't expect the blessings you're looking for. Amen?
Naaman's lesson is more than salvation. This is life. Child of God. If you're here today and you're lost, I want you to be saved today. Please come to the Lord today. The invitation is to come. If you're looking, child of God, for rest and peace, the Lord says, come unto me. All ye labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How? Take my yoke upon you. And what? Learn of me. God's way will give you that rest. 